Finish this saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but that's a cute phrase, isn't it? it and it's, a, it's really a lovely phrase when you think about it as far as when I want to convince myself that other people's words do not affect my own self-image. But I think that we're probably mostly in agreement here that that particular phrase is a bit of a naive mantra when it comes to the words that I give out to the rest of this world, isn't it? Words really, they hold the power of life and death. I remember hearing a story when I was in grad school of a man who was about in his 40s, somewhere in his 40s, but when he was a young child, his father always used to call him a worthless seagull, and he had this hand flip. I don't know why seagull, I don't know why the hand flip, but any time his father thought that he did something that was a little bit boneheaded from his perspective, spilled a glass of milk, broke a dish, forgot to take the trash out, you're just a worthless seagull. He received that message over and over and over again throughout his life, and it affected him all the way, and the way that he conducted himself well into his 40s. Words can be incredibly harmful. However, they have a different power as well, don't they? After all, God created this world with words. He spoke a number of times. Those things came into existence, and he called those things good. In fact, John, in his gospel... His primary definition is the Word of God. Jesus, the best human ever, right? The Word of God made flesh. And God has given us all of these words in this book so that we can know Him better and learn how to glorify Him completely. So words have a good power as well. In fact, our Proverbs author affirms this a number of times. Proverbs 25, 11, for example. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold on settings of silver. Apples of gold, a word fitly spoken, right? The most precious metal throughout all history. That's what words, good words are like. Or he says this in Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Basically, the sweetest thing that nature knows how to produce, that's what good words are like when we apply them and make them Uh, available to the people that we speak to. And here's the point, right? Is that words are incredibly powerful. They're incredibly powerful. Every utterance that comes from this little tiny muscle that lives inside of our faces has the potential for only one of two things. Either to bless God and His creation, that which brings life, right? Or curse the same, that which brings death. So we're in a series in, uh, that comes out of Matthew 15, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, where, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Now, now we've said uh, from the get-go with this that sometimes from our culture that has a negative connotation, calling you salty. But Jesus has different ideas about how he wants to apply that. And he, he says that if you're in him, right, you are salty, right? So you're the salt of the earth. And we've looked at salty love and salty forgiveness, hospitality and service. And today we're considering what it means to have salty speech in accordance with this. 
And Paul actually talks about this in Colossians. He uses these words at the, at the end of this letter. He's exhorting the people to have salty speech. Listen to what he says directly in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. The words that I use with you, especially my brothers and sisters, they need to be seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so we've established that words are powerful, and, but maybe you think that I'm overstating the case of their power. And I, I, want you, I want to present you with Exhibit A up here. And if I, was, if I was a good speaker, I'd have one of these to hold up for you. You know what a Stanley Cup is? Everybody raise a hand. You know what a Stanley Cup is? Several of you do. Many, if, if not most of us do. You see these things all around, right? People are carrying them wherever they go. And it's a nice cup. It's a nice tumbler, right? It, uh, it fits in your car. It helps you to stay hydrated, has a nice handle on it, keeps your water cold for hours. And Stanley, the brand behind this particular tumbler, they had this thing on their website. Stanley, by the way, it's been around for like 100 years. It's a camping gear brand. They had this thing on their website for an extended period of time, and they nearly discontinued it because it simply wasn't selling until, until... They reached out to some social media influencers and asked them to begin to promote this particular item. And those social media influencers did that. And lo and behold, now we have a cultural phenomenon around us with a Stanley Tumblr of all things, right? How? How in the world did that happen? Have you ever thought about things like this? These are the things that I think about at nighttime, right? bizarre things like Stanley Cup. How did that become? Here's how it happened. Words were spoken inside of a boardroom. Those words were transferred to these social media influencers. Those influencers took those words and applied them to their audience. And that audience, by word of mouth, spread this idea that this is an important thing to have. Now, that's a relatively benign example of how words can affect the things that are around us. And there's nothing in the world wrong, in my opinion, with having a Stanley uh, tumbler mug thing. In fact, there's probably several of them in this room right now. But I want us to think about how this can negatively affect things, though, how words can negatively affect things. A simple word of harm from someone creates an idea in the mind of somebody else, and that idea becomes a reality to that person, almost like a virus. They share that virus from person to person, and that mind virus propagates, and it can affect the entire world. Words have killed and destroyed more than any other physical virus, weapon of war, catastrophic event, or any other human-created atrocity put together. I want you to consider the Holocaust for a moment. The death, the death of six million people were driven by one man's words and speech. If Stanley is a benign example, the Holocaust is an evil example of how words can truly affect the things and the people that are around us. And if you feel like I'm being too intense about this, I want us to consider how James 
talks about this. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, turn over to James chapter 3. James has some pretty interesting words that he wants us to understand about the things that come out of our mouth. We're going to be starting in James chapter 3, the latter part of uh, verse 2 here. James 3, starting in verse 2, he says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Let me repeat that. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. He's complete in who he is. Although also able to bridle his whole body. He gives us a couple of metaphors to help us understand what he's talking about here. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He's asking us to imagine something. A tiny little metal piece put into the mouth of a very large animal has the ability to control that entire animal. And he gives us another example. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. A bit in the hand of a right person can lead a horse correctly. The rudder with somebody at the, at the helm can lead a ship correctly. Here's a question that I want us to consider this morning. Whose hands are on your bit and on your rudder? And he's holding up my mirror. David, whose hands are on your bit and on your rudder? Because if it's me in my own fleshly nature that, that inhabits and struggles against what God wants, I think we're going to find pretty quickly as we continue through that there are some major problems with what's going to be coming out of my mouth. James isn't done. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We've all seen at least the news stories of these huge forest fires that start by just a tiny little spark. He says, and the tongue, it's a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Let me repeat that again. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From, our, from the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Did you catch what James said there? This little thing in our mouth, he says, it ruins a person. A whole person is stained by it, and it ruins lives, and it has the power, and it is lit on fire by hell itself. Listen, my intensity from this comes from my own personal conviction. This is something that I really thought that I had a handle on. It's really something that I thought that I had a handle on until I started to get prepared to tell you this lesson this morning, right? 
And then I started to take an inventory about what was coming out of my mouth and the attention behind what was coming out of my mouth. And I realized that I have a lot of work to do and there's a lot of work that needs to be done inside of me personally if my, salt is going to, if my speech is going to be salty like Jesus wants it to be. You see, because just as though it has the power for evil and harm, it also has the power for good when it's applied correctly too, doesn't it? Right? We've talked about in this series what salt does when it is specifically applied to things. Right? Salt enhances the flavor of things. Salt brings nourishment and nurtures things, and salt preserves things. And in the same way, speech, when it's done in the right way and done in a godly way, has these powers as well. Kind and encouraging words can enhance the positivity and enjoyment in a conversation that we have with one another. Compliments, praise, and words of appreciation can make interactions with each other a whole lot more pleasant. Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous. It's a fountain of life. Words that bless can help preserve and strengthen relationships when conflicts arise. Using words of forgiveness and understanding and empathy can prevent relationships from deteriorating. Proverbs 16, 24, again, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Words of wisdom, when they're shared in love and compassion with guidance and support, can nurture personal growth and development, encouragement and constructive feedback. They can help individuals thrive, can they not? Again, Proverbs 10, 20 and 21, the tongue of the righteous is of choice silver. The lips of the righteous, they feed many. So I understand it's uh, words are either good or bad. They have the power of life or death. They can either be used for blessing or for cursing. How would I even begin to cultivate a life that only speaks godly words to others? Is it that I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps? Need to white-knuckle my way into doing this? Or like the, the old phrase from Bambi that's shared with flour, I can't remember who it is. If you can't say no, something nice, don't say nothing at all, bite my tongue kind of thing. Or maybe kind of a fake it till I make it kind of thing. And let me, I, I think being conscious of our words is a part of this. I do think that it's a part of this. Making sure I check myself before the words come out of my mouth but I think we're going to understand here pretty quickly when Jesus begins to talk about this is that there's something deeper that is happening when the words come out of my mouth or something other than salty words. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 has been uh, accused by the Pharisees. They've had some choice words and really some blatantly evil words to say about Jesus and his ministry. And Jesus has a number of things that he wants to say to the Pharisees. I want to point our eyes specifically to Matthew chapter 12, uh, 33 and following. Jesus is going to talk about a tree, a fruit tree specifically. If I find a fruit tree and that tree has good fruit on it, we can define that tree as being a good tree. On the other hand, if I find a tree and it has immature fruit or it rots right when it comes to maturity or something like that, we can also assume that that tree is a bad tree. So he gives us two categories. And then he says this in 33. The tree, it's known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. 
talking to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Let me say it again. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What Jesus has just said, that what I say is an indicator of my heart, And the condition of my heart is going to determine the things that I say. And I think that the moment that any of us begins to take an inventory of the things that come out of our mouths, I'm convinced that 100% of us in here will be convicted by this. We're going to realize that we still have a lot of work that God needs to do on us if every word is a heart issue. And this, by the way, this goes beyond just saying four-letter words, right? I don't even remember the last time I let one of those slip out of my mouth. That hasn't been a struggle, okay, for me personally, maybe for you. But the intention behind the words that come out of my mouth, sometimes the sarcasm that I use, sometimes the joke that has a little bit of an extra meaning behind it, maybe it's not as salty as I thought it was. And, you know, sometimes I think that we compartmentalize our spirituality with this issue particular, but we've done this before in the past. We have little boxes for the different things that we live our life in, don't we? We have a specific box for the spirituality that we apply to our family, and then maybe a little bit different of a spirituality box that when we come to congregational worship and stuff like that, that I look a little bit different like than I did with my family, and maybe it's a totally different box that I take to work with me, or maybe I have a box for specifically when nobody is even looking. See, the problem with our words, according to Jesus, is they reveal what's in all of these boxes. Every single word begins to reveal what's in all of these compartmentalized boxes that we make. And maybe another way to understand this is to think about hide-and-seek. I used to love to play hide-and-seek with my sisters and the neighborhood kids. We would go outside, and we would play for hours trying to find the best hiding spot. And, you know, as the seeker would find them, and after we all gathered back together, we'd begin to cheer for each other if it was a really good hiding spot. And sometimes I think we try to play hide-and-seek in our spiritual lives, don't we? We try to hide particular things. The thing about our words, according to Jesus, is that they always betray what's going on in our spiritual life. It's like playing a rigged game of hide-and-seek. It's like trying to play hide-and-seek with a red flashing light above your head and a siren every time you, you try and go and find a hiding spot. And we can try to hide parts of our lives, and sometimes we can briefly hide specifics of a corrupted and fleshly heart, but if what Jesus is saying here holds true, our speech is always going to be an indicator, the litmus test, the barometer of what's happening inside of us. In other words, the deepest part of me, my most core level identity of self, it's being revealed to God and to the world and to my brothers and sisters with the very words that come out of my mouth. And this means that speech that's not salty indicates a problem inside of here. 
Before I get into any practical steps, I think it's important to recognize if our words are proclaiming heart issues, what the problem really is. The problem with the heart, according to Jeremiah, that apart from God, it's evil. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We're without hope when it comes to our natural fleshly heart. I think it's important to know briefly here that when we hear heart, especially from an Old Testament context, it's not just talking about the seed of our emotions, what we feel, okay? From an Old Testament context, the heart is about my emotions, but it's also about my thought life. It's about my understanding of who I truly am. And what Jeremiah has just said is the thing that makes up a person, it's diseased. In fact, God in the book of Ezekiel is going to conclude that that very same thing, that every human heart actually needs a heart transplant. Mankind is without hope. How can his heart ever be good? How could one ever hope to have salty speech or a speech that's seasoned by salt that honors God and his creation? He said that we have a heart of stone, but not even that. Not even that can thwart God's intentions and plans for you. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 26, talking about the power of God in our hearts. He says, I, God speaking here, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Our only hope for being salty in our speech is that God does the hard heart work inside of us. Let me say it again. Our only hope for having salty speech that would please Jesus like Paul is talking about is that God does the hard heart work inside of us. In other words, me trying to control my tongue by the bootstraps white knuckle method is a losing game of hide and seek. It will always tell on what's going on in here. Only when God has full access to our innermost being do we have any hope of letting our speech be salty like Jesus wants. So when I begin to understand fully the power of of words and speech, that they hold the power of life and death every single time I open my mouth, I want, I truly want my speech to become seasoned with salt. But for this to happen, it's going to demand that the deepest parts of me, they're available to be transformed by God. That when I understand that this is always an indicator of this, that my deepest parts are being exposed with my words. It makes me want to approach the lordship of Jesus maybe a little bit differently than I have in the past. Can I give us some advice? Can I give us some advice as we go forward and we begin to meditate and think about these things throughout the week? Over the next couple of days, I simply want us to notice. Notice the words that are coming out of our mouths. What is it that you're saying? How is it that you're saying? How is it that you're joking with your friends that are around you? 
what you say to the other drivers maybe when you're alone in the car and they can't even hear you. How it is that you give compliments. How it is that you criticize the, um, the, the sentiments behind the words of wisdom that you hand out to people. And remember that when you take that inventory, it's telling us something about our own heart. And as God begins to convict each and every one of us of the heart issues that need to be addressed, let's pause and offer those up to Him. Let's challenge ourselves to offer those up to Him and invite Him to come into those dark places, maybe that we didn't even realize existed. Ask Him to enlighten those places. And then I want us to simply become amazed, right, at the words from our mouth as they change to become more seasoned with salt than they ever have been before. I want to add a fourth one up here. And I was hesitant to even put this one up here, and I'll tell you why here in just a minute. But let's say this, right? I think that this one that's up there, confess and amend, right? This is the natural progression of how God changes things. When I've realized that my words and my interactions, especially with my brothers and sisters, but all of the world around me, I realize that those words have hurt and been harmful. I want to naturally do something with my words to heal those things. And so I think the natural progression of these things as God begins to enlighten those places inside of our hearts is to recognize and begin to confess to those that I've hurt with my words, I was wrong in the way that I said that. Will you please forgive me? Here was my hesitation in putting this one up there. My hesitation is that we'll compartmentalize this too. We'll look at this as though it's a checkbox and think, oh, I know how to uh, confess, I know how to ask for an apology, and therefore I don't have a problem with my specific words. This is the natural progression of how things are. If you start out here, I, I, I fear that we might miss the rest of the process of God coming in and challenging us in the ways that we need to be challenged. Listen, the lesson is yours. I, just like the rest of the things in this Salty series, this is a spirit-enabled activity. It only happens when I have Jesus living inside of me that I want to call him more of the Lord of my life than I have yesterday. I want to call him more the Lord today than I have yesterday. And so maybe you're struggling with this and you need the prayers of a congregation or our elders or maybe you want to put your Lord on in baptism as well so that you can begin this journey of having salty speech and so many other things that come with calling Jesus our Lord. If you have that need or any other need, would you let us know while we stand and while we sing?